Welcome to In the Moment. I'm Lori Walsh. South Dakota Public Broadcasting brings you the latest from the state legislative session in Pierre. You can subscribe to the SDPB News Podcast on any platform where you get your podcasts. See live coverage, meeting archives, and more at sd.net. And of course, you can find all our coverage online at sdpb.org news. Well, today we gather our public broadcasting journalists from across the state for a live update on some of the legislation we have our eyes on this week and have had our eyes on last week. Joining us now from the Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls, we welcome Jackie Hendry. She's host of South Dakota Focus on SDPB TV. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Lori. Thanks for having me. Seth Tupper is with us from the Black Hills Surgical Hospital Studio in SDPB's Black Hills Studio. Welcome, Seth. Hi, Lori. And Mr. Lee Strubinger, public uh, policy and politics reporter for SDPB, is joining us from the Capitol Building and Pier. Hey, Lee. Hi, Lori. We're going to start this hour with Seth Tupper. Um, Seth, tell us a little bit um, about the Open Fields Bill, because we started talking about this last week, and I feel like we just scratched the surface. Um, Help us understand what exactly is being discussed here. Yeah, so this bill uh, basically addresses what's known as the Open Fields Doctrine, and that is uh, based on a decades-old U.S. Supreme Court decision, which holds that conservation officers, which are sort of commonly known as game wardens, have the right to enter open fields, be that a cornfield or a pasture or whatever, uh, without permission or a warrant in pursuit of their duties. So if they want to go on there and they see people hunting on privately owned land they can go on there and ask them everybody to produce their uh hunting licenses etc so there's been a lot of uh uh uh, opposition to that doctrine in south dakota over the years and uh you know there's been past efforts to put restrictions on the open fields doctrine and they've never really had uh, sort of a those efforts have never really had a friend in the governor's office until now uh, with lieutenant mm-hmm. governor and larry Ro- lieutenant governor larry roden and also governor christy Nome supporting this effort effort to place restrictions on the doctrine and so the bill from the Nome administration says that conservation officers would now need permission to go on private land um, there would be some exceptions if they uh, you know, suspect criminal activity is taking place or they observe a crippled or distressed animal that they need to put down or they're responding to an emergency or an accident where they've actually been called out, you know, to, to assist. Um, those right. would be the exceptions in the bill. But other than that, they would need permission uh, to enter private land. And so that would... So Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, for, for listeners who haven't been following this, when the governor's office sent out a press release on this, they were heavy on the private property and uh, you know this is helping landowners hasn't gotten uh, public uh, you know complaints from game fish and parks officers but privately we've heard a lot of people uh, don't necessarily agree with it tell us a little bit about um, the kind of support you're hearing from lawmakers and the kind of opposition you're hearing from lawmakers who are speaking publicly about this uh, potential legislation Well, there are a a lot of lawmakers that uh, believe this is a landowner rights issue, and they just say that uh, there's a basic principle that, you know, if a a police officer can't just walk into your house without a warrant or or some good reason to be there or permission, uh, you know, a game warden shouldn't be able to walk on somebody's privately owned land without Mm -hmm. sort of the same thing. And so uh, in the 
House debate on this bill, uh, one of the people who spoke in favor of it uh, was uh, Republican Representative Liz May of Kyle. The landowners, that's all they've really ever wanted is just some respect. Hmm. All right. And the opponents, what are they saying? Well, and this has been interesting because, um, you know, because we have such a super majority uh, of Republicans in the right. legislature, you would think this bill would just maybe sail through if it has the governor's support. But there are quite a few Republicans who oppose it. And one of those is Republican Representative David Anderson of Hudson. And he and other, <clears throat> excuse me, opponents say it opens the door to poaching on private land because uh, uh, conservation officers wouldn't have as much access to go see if that's taking place. And he said it would make it harder to uh, enforce uh, game and fish laws as well. So here's what he said on the House floor. I'm in favor of the conservation officer looking out for me. He's the one that could rightly go on and ask to see licenses, ask if there's permission. I'm not there all the time. And he was talking, I should say, about you know, his own farm ground that he has in, in eastern South Dakota. What's next with this bill? Well, it's already passed the House. Uh, it was 41-28. There was the vote. And now it's been referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee. So it'll, it'll go forward and, and potentially receive Senate consideration. All right. You've also been following uh, this idea of secrecies and nonprofit and campaign funds, um, dark money, depending on <laughs> what language that you <laughs> yeah. like. I know the governor does not like the phrase dark money as it relates to this bill. Give us a little background here, please. This is another Nome administration bill uh, that they put out a, a release on and, and got some publicity for. And the Nome administration bill, um, the governor says, would prevent government from requiring any further disclosures from nonprofit than state or federal law already requires. And then there's another sort of companion bill from a group of legislators that establishes a right to privacy for everyone who supports a nonprofit. And so Governor Nome says these bills protect nonprofits and their donors from politically motivated harassment. They've used an example in California when that state had a vote to ban uh, gay marriage a number of years ago. Some people who gave money to nonprofits who were politically active in that debate, their identities were outed and um, uh, it was alleged that they were then harassed uh, because of the donations that they had made. And so Governor Nome's general counsel, Mark Miller, testified on, on her bill in committee and said the bill aims to stop that. And he also referenced the deeper purpose that the bill has. It's also meant to return us to the traditional role of anonymity in support for certain causes that one believes in. Hmm. Traditional role of anonymity. Is that a traditional American value? Well, <laughs> some people say it is and others say it isn't. Uh, Mark mm -hmm. Miller referenced the founders and, for example, some of the founding fathers uh, writing the Federalist Papers uh, under pseudonyms. Uh, but uh, there are others who say, no, that's, that's not a traditional American value. And, and the bill's opponents say that some of these nonprofits that the governor says she's trying to protect actually funnel money to political groups like super PACs. And therefore, if we, if we can't reveal the identities of nonprofit donors, then we won't know ultimately who's influencing our politics and, and giving money to these super PACs. So in other words, they say this is a dark money uh, protection bill. And one of the people who voted against the bill so far is Representative uh, Ryan Schwach, uh, who's a Democrat from Yankton. Here's what he had to say. We expect accountability and we expect transparency from our government. And so the idea that we want to try and keep how people are influencing our government anonymous um, goes against the whole bedrock of our society. Hmm. <laughs> 
American values and the bedrock of our society is a lot at stake here with this bill, right? <laughs> right yeah, so. the sort of soaring <laughs> rhetoric. Yeah, so it's been interesting <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> All right, what's next for this legislation then? Well, again, there's there's two pieces uh, to this. So uh, the governor's bill has passed the House and the Senate already by wide margins, but it's back in the House because it was amended in the Senate. So they'll need to consider those amendments and then potentially send it on to the governor. The other bill uh, is uh, sponsored by Senator Casey Crabtree, uh, Republican from Madison. That passed the Senate by a wide margin, and it's in a House committee currently. All right. Let's uh, before we move on to Jackie, let's update on the state airplane and uh, whether it's going to be a jet or an airplane or or what's happening here. Uh, we know more about the governor's travel than we did the last time we talked. Tell me a little bit about this uh, state airplane update. And just to catch listeners up, uh, they might remember in, in Governor Nome's budget address in December, she revealed this plan to sell two of the state's older airplanes that are in the executive branch fleet and buy a new one. And she said that the net cost of that, and that's the key word, the key phrase there, the net cost would be $5 million. So that's the proceeds from uh, the sale of the two planes minus the cost of the new one. So we don't really know exactly yet what the cost of that new plane would be. Uh, I've seen some other reporting that's uh, used the figure $6 million perhaps, but as far as I can tell, uh, neither the GNOME administration nor anybody in the in the transportation department which manages the the state plane fleet has revealed exactly what kind of plane they want to buy and there was some mm-hmm. um, sort of hubbub about whether they would buy a jet or they buy a you know a standard plane whatever and so that's caused even some republicans to say you know hey we need more information about this before we go down this road and actually put this in the budget and as you referenced there's been a controversy lately over a number of media outlets have reported that governor Nome took state planes Uh, prior to 2020 to uh, a number of -of out-of-state events hosted by the NRA and the conservative group Turning Point and some other places, the National Governors uh, Association meeting. And so uh, Democrats have filed a number of bills to try to pry greater transparency from the governor regarding her travels and the cost of her security detail when she travels out-of-state, either on a state plane or otherwise. And those have all been shot down. And so where we're where we're at is the the request for the money to buy the plane is in the joint appropriations committee and and they will presumably either put that in the budget when they when they pass it uh, toward the end of the session or or they won't it's interesting and just you know quickly um there's also a a tone here a tone of people sending you know political messages to the governor about where she's going how far she should go and uh, in what in what regard? There have to be a lot of really interesting behind-the-scenes conversations, I'm guessing, about this. Well, and, and as I've reported in uh, in a story I did earlier this this year, it's it's a particularly fraught issue because you know we we've had numerous controversies over state airplanes. We had a, a governor, George Mickelson, die in a crash in a state airplane. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a political minefield, and it's it's bound to be no matter what governor is proposing to to uh, you know buy a new plane. Right. Um, Jackie Hendry, you've got your eyes on some education bills as well. Tell us a little bit about um, alternative education statutes. All righty. Well, <laughs> just about every year in the state house, we, we get some kind of bill related to how, uh, generally speaking, uh, homeschool students uh, relate sure. to um, the other public school districts. Uh, say, usually this takes the form of how they're, if whether or not homeschool students are able to participate in uh, uh, activities 
in the public school district. So this mm. bill, um, <laughs> it, just in, in catching up, I'm a little late to the party on this one. This really uh, got steam uh, last week and has passed on the Senate floor. Now moving on to the House side, um, a, another bill that seems to have really gotten its push from the governor's office, um, prime sponsor Wayne Steinhauer of Minnehaha County, uh, in his early remarks uh, presenting this bill uh, to the to the other senators, <laughs> says, when you get a phone call from Maggie Seidel in the governor's office saying, let's have lunch, here's proof that there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> 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 so um, uh, it, it's a lengthy bill, like something like 10 pages long, and, and basically yeah. it comes down to uh, how parents who want to homeschool their students notify their resident school district um, that they are moving to homeschool, um, whether or not uh, to, to get more, I guess, clarity or uniformity in how school districts decide whether or not a homeschool student can participate in activities like sports or theater and things like this. Um, mm. Because really, when <laughs> the, the key phrase throughout this conversation, as in most education conversations, is local control, um, because we are a state that prioritizes right. local control, there's over 100 different ways for each different school district uh, that they decide to uh, deal with this conversation. So the idea behind this bill is to um, uh, add uniformity for that and also remove um, the compulsory uh, standardized testing for homeschool students. So is it really focused on those activities, sort of getting rid of the compulsory testing, but opening the door for, to, I mean, a la carte your education, for lack of a better word? <laughs> um, it's, it, it's pretty broad, um, at least mm -hmm. just in my, in my skimming of it um, recently. Um, it, it, a, a lot of the conversation around this bill has related to the activities portion of the conversation and leveling the playing field there. But then mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think, as you can imagine, a lot of the opponents or people who are skeptical of this bill point to that testing decision. You know, how, how else sure. are we going to uh, assure uh, compliance with state standards and, and things like this? But um, what I found interesting in that conversation to learn is that uh, South Dakota um, would not be the only would be far from the only state to remove that compulsory testing. I think there's something like 39 other states in the union that do not require testing uh, for homeschool students. Uh, right. And then some folks like to point out that it costs uh, South Dakota taxpayers $40,000 a year uh, to perform that testing for homeschool students. But um, they, they kind of both play into this conversation. And from the homeschoolers' perspective, that testing might be one of the reasons you decide to choose a different form of education because you're dissatisfied with the way that testing looks or what they're measuring or or what have you. How much do you think, Jackie, this conversation has changed after the pandemic when so many, I mean, I know Governor Nome was basically saying in her column, like, you know, we learned more than ever how important parents are as all mm -hmm. these kids were kind of trying to figure out how to do things from home and parents had, you know, were setting up classrooms in their, you know, home office spaces or in a closet or whatever on the family kitchen table. Um, she says this is trying to make way for parents who want to continue doing different things to, to keep going. So my question to you is, uh, when you read that bill, are you seeing the influence of a post-pandemic South Dakota sort of starting to sprout. It definitely seems like kind of the unspoken impetus behind this particular bill. Um, in listening to uh, Maggie Seidel, who is senior policy advisor for Governor Nome, she testified in favor of this bill in one of the early committee meetings uh, on the Senate side. Um, 
part of the inspiration behind the bill, she read a couple letters from folks that, um, you know, during this during this summer and Governor Nome's unique approach to uh, how she handled the pandemic compared to other states. Um, she referenced Governor Nome uh, extending this invitation to folks uh, saying, if you value uh, how we're handling this and if you value our lay of, way of life, come to South Dakota. She then read a couple mm. ex- excerpts from letters from people who said, hey, I love how you're doing this. I would love to move to South Dakota, but I stopped when I saw your homeschool laws. And uh, oh. so that was kind of the the inspiration behind that. Maggie Seidel also noting that uh, there has been a 27% increase in alternative education in South Dakota in the last year. She didn't directly tie that to COVID, um, but I don't think it's too far outside the realm of possibility that COVID definitely was part of that increase. Yeah. So many parents completely thinking their work life, their home life, um, what they do with school and education. And I'm sure they're looking for different options and different choices. Many are just hoping to get their kid back in the classroom Mm -hmm. as much as possible. So interesting to follow. Um, You also have been looking into some other education bills, particularly from people like Representative Sean Bordeaux, who was on the program not too long ago, um, looking at, you know, different ways to to create a friendlier and more inclusive environment for Lakota students. Maybe that's not the best way to, to state that. So tell me a little bit about what you're watching there. Yeah. Um, so th- these are, uh, again, uh, fairly similar bills that Representative Bordeaux uh, ha- has brought in past sessions. Uh, the first one I'll mention, House Bill 1108, which would permit the playing of an honor song or a Lakota flag song at certain graduation ceremonies. Um, The bill is about a sentence long. A high school, tech college, or institution governed by the Board of Regents may not prohibit a playing of one of those songs at a graduation ceremony if it's requested by a student. Um, We've seen a few bills related to whether or not you are able to wear an eagle feather or other associated um, article of clothing during a a graduation ceremony. In the past, opponents have pointed to that local control uh, decision. It should be up to the individual districts whether they want to uh, allow this or not. Eventually, the eagle feather or eagle plume uh, did go through that I believe is now allowed statewide. This seems to be an extension of that. Um, This bill has not yet been heard in committee. It was referred actually to House State Affairs uh, almost a month ago and uh, has not yet been heard. A second bill in in, has followed a similar track, House Bill 1187, to require schools to provide instruction on South Dakota's tribal history, culture, and government. Um, Again, feeding into that Ocheti Shikoni essential understandings conversation, also referred to House State Affairs and also not yet heard in committee. So it is crossover week. So we, we're hmm. going to be hearing that sometime this week. But uh, just one of several, including the bill that we just talked about, the, the Alternative Education Statutes Bill, a whole lot of education-related bills that are being directed at some point to a state affairs committee. Interesting. Significance of that, do we really know? Is it where they think it might pass? Is it uh, the, 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 the load of work being divided up? Any indication of of how committee assignments are made? It's hard to say. I don't have a particular insight to that um, for these uh, two bills from Representative Bordeaux. Um, uh, From committees I've heard in the past, his bills struggle to get through House education. I don't know if they'll have Mm -hmm. better luck in House State Affairs. Um, Rob Munson, who's the executive director of the School Administrators of South Dakota, he opposed that homeschooling bill that we were just talking about. Um, He put out a statement on Facebook that bill is now moving to a state affairs committee on the other side. 
Uh, and his opinion is that that's not where it should be. It should be going to right. an education committee. So it's an interesting, interesting. question. Yeah. Uh, Lee Strubinger joining us from the Capitol building. Hey, Lee. Hey, Laurie. How's it going? Let's start with an update on medical marijuana. But first, I want to ask you, as I listen to, you know, what uh, Seth brought and what Jackie brought, there's a whole lot of Governor Nome in, you know, the the fingerprints of Governor Nome and her policy advisors are pretty, um, you know, evident this legislative session. That's not necessarily a a new thing, but we're spending a lot of time with uh, her agenda. Tell us a little bit about how, from your perspective, that agenda is really, um, you know, driving the conversation in Pierre this year. Yeah, I would say that 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 is definitely the case, and more so in in prior years. I mean, obviously her first year she was getting her feet set, and then um, you know the year after um, she had brought um, kind of that bill. I think that was a the signature of of last session, which uh, created a streamlined process for um, uh, sort of county per, county permits and and putting you know industry in some of these rural counties. I know there was a lot of focus on on streamlining the uh, uh, county commission mm. uh, process to approve something like a, a, a feedlot for, for hogs and things like that. Um, right. But this year, you know, obviously uh, uh, Governor, Governor Nome's profile sure did raise quite a bit in the last, in the last year. And on top of that, they're coming, coming forward with a lot of, with a lot of uh, bills and agenda items that uh, they're really trying to push forward this year. For sure. All right. Tell us a little bit about what's happening with medical marijuana. Sure. So, I mean, obviously, uh, the governor's office, alongside legislative leadership, has proposed delaying the implementation of the uh, voter-approved medical marijuana uh, program, Initiative Measure 26, um, by a year. Um, they say they want uh, more time for for the state to be able to get its feet set in that. Uh, one of the, one of the reasons for that is that this that IM26 really charges the Department of Health with coming up with a lot of of rule promulgating a lot of rules for this program, and you know it's no secret we're in the middle of a pandemic and that the Department mm-hmm. of Health is is pretty busy with that uh, thus far. You know, the governor's office and legislative leaders have said that they want to respect the will of the voters, and um, want to, they want to they want to implement this correctly um one one of those folks that i talked to is uh uh that we, that we've all talked to is is uh majority leader gary kamak he's uh majority leader in the state senate and he said that he wants to wants people to know that this is not about slow rolling um the process but but really about getting it right and our hope and so, is that Sorry, and so and so he he's among several legislative leaders who are who are uh, behind this. But just this morning, right before this segment started, the uh, South Dakotans for Better Marijuana Laws uh, held a press conference um, talking about a compromise with uh, sort of the delay that the state and legislature is wanting to bring. And they're saying instead of delaying it for uh, another year, which it was supposed to go in effect on July 1st of this year. The state is saying they want it to go in effect July 1st of next year. They're saying, can we compromise and and delay implementation of this medical marijuana program on July 31st of next year? So shortening that by about uh, six months or so. 
one of the things that the state has wanted to do is establish a legislative task force to look at this over the summer and find out where conflicts in state law are and uh, and sort of be able to comb those over uh, figure out what where that conflict is figure it out and be able to bring that forward next year um, all right you brought us audio who, who are we going to hear from here yeah, so this is Matthew Schweik, and he's with the Marijuana Policy Project, and he was a part of that um, uh, uh, conversation, you know, and, and they're saying that, you know, a delay for the Department of Health is justified based on the fact that they're dealing with this um, this this pandemic, yeah. and they want to give them time to uh, place get these rules put in place. Take and listen. our hope is that come next January, Maybe there's a few minor technical changes for legislature to address, but our hope is that further delays to the deadlines aren't necessary. House Bill 1100A really envisions freezing everything and then empowering an interim committee to really rewrite the law. And that's not our approach. Our approach is to implement uh, Measure 26 as written while providing flexibility for the legislature to extend deadlines further if absolutely necessary. Lee, before we let you go, I also want to ask you about uh, what's the latest with Attorney General Jason Roundsburg, because now we're hearing buzz about um, impeachment or some from the political side of things, people not completely satisfied with the, the results of the charges that are going to be filed against him. What can you tell us? Yeah, so Attorney General Roundsburg was was charged with three misdemeanors for the uh, for the um, killing of, of Joseph Beaver. Um, in in September when he was driving his car at night, um, the uh, one of the uh, House Majority Whips, Representative Tim Goodwin, um, has called for for him to step down uh, mm -hmm. from the office of the Attorney General. Uh, last I've heard from the Attorney General's office is that he has no plans to step down, and that he's still waiting to view sort of the the summonses that that um, he was given in terms of of those three misdemeanor charges so um, the fate of of Attorney General Roundsburg could be uh, up in the air um, but I mean this is coming from a, 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 a sorry uh, this is coming from a uh, a whip and not like a majority leader or or assistant sure. majority leader at this point but um, that idea could take hold um, it's not something that I've heard too much talk about yet um, but those charges were just announced last week. Interesting to think of the political future as um, the other things continue and civil cases play out, or if there are civil cases. But clearly, the Governor Nome has not signaled a massive amount of support uh, for Roundsburg. She's kind of kept uh, hands off in her comments um, about this in the future, which probably means something to people in political circles as well. We're going to leave it there and uh, let the reporters go back to covering the news across the state. Lee Strubinger, thanks so much for being here with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Seth Tupper, thank you. You're welcome. Jackie, thanks again. Thanks, Lori.